To sync this podcast to the episode, pause now and hit play right after the previously on. We're back this week with episode 504 from season five, The Fiery Cross. And I'm Tony Graffia, writer, executive producer, and I'm here today with uh, one of our new writers, Barbara P- Stepanski, who wrote this episode, which is, um, the yeah. title is The Company We Keep. And uh, I'm so happy to be here and having written this. Thank you for the intro. Yeah, uh, I was talking last week with Luke um, about how we rarely fight as writers in the room over who gets what episode because everyone tends to be drawn to certain episodes. Um, When they read the book, they're like excited about, oh, I love these chapters, that's the one I want. And Luke was very, very sparked by um, the Beardsley episode from last week. And you uh, uh, felt a particular affinity and excitement about Brownsville, the Brownsville episode. I did. When I read the um, uh, the chapters, it felt like it would be this self-contained, um, almost thriller-esque situation where we have a Romeo and Juliet um, relationship at its core with Josiah Morton and Alicia Brown, and I just felt it would be really fun to write. Um, I actually and there's your credit. It's yes. your first, your first one in uh, on a, a, a drama series. Although you've written some TV before, yes. that's your first on Outlander. So congratulations! And I'm really, really proud of this episode. This is uh, a beautiful set that Gary built. Uh, as you can see, it was quite muddy all the way through, and this is a very eerie atmosphere that our heroes are walking into. So Jamie and Claire are back at the Beardsley cabin, um, having dealt with that whole horrific situation. And Roger has been left alone with the militia company, and which is really where this title came in for me. It was it encompassed having to deal with the company on his own, and it became all an episode about leadership. Hmm. And you can see this here as he's taking charge and doesn't quite know how to deal with the situation now later we will see that the company we keep is also referring to Isaiah Morton himself and that'll be a nice callback yeah he doesn't get quite the reception in this town as he was expecting as they're out gathering militia um, and most of them are Jamie's neighbors who are very cooperative but they get to this little crazy little outpost of Brownsville and these people are uh, are not that friendly to outsiders and for uh, a reason and here's the reason Alicia Brown running in and pleading um, that was our first inkling of wait a second there is it's not like they usually behave like this to strangers they saw them right up the street and recognized Isaiah Morton so now we know that there's something dramatic at the core of this standoff. Right, right. They have a reason to be particularly hostile here to this group. Yes. Um, and I really like this turn in Roger here who thinks on his feet and who thinks I have to come up with some plan to distract these folks other than <laughs> shooting at them. Right. <laughs> Now, you were here when this was filmed as you supervised Block 2, and you got to, to go to Scotland for I your did. first trip and be on the set. Uh, was that uh, pretty exciting to be there to see uh, your episode getting filmed? And Yes, it was very, very exciting. Uh, I, you know, I really couldn't believe my luck because I walked into the set of Brownsville. It's been specifically built for this episode, it was just the scope of things is uh, fantastic, and the crew and cast are, you know, out of this world. Uh, and here we are at Fraser's Ridge, with Brianna arriving from a shopping trip <laughs> um, to Willems Creek, and bringing little gifts. Yeah, that um, 
Uh-huh. In the opening, we saw the quarter. Well, it's not a quarter. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <A> <laughs> that would be today's money. Um, there much, it is. How much? I is. think too much yep. whiskey has had been had. Um, it's not a quarter. Anyway, speaking of whiskey, Barbara chose the whiskey for today, and that is? It's Bell's Whiskey, which they don't sell in the U.S., but it's, one, it's the most popular U.K. brand of whiskey to drink. And when I was living in London, it was our go-to whiskey see if you have a go-to whiskey that that fits right in with uh (laughs) with us uh, because this is a long-held tradition way back to the days of uh of ron moore doing um the Battlestar um podcasts where he would would have a, a little wee nip um every time we sat down to talk about our episodes um but anyway, it wasn't a quarter, but we saw a man's hand flipping this coin between his fingers, mm-hmm. and that was meant to be a little uh, little teaser, uh, make us wonder who is that and what it's what is it about. Um, yeah, that it, really set up um, a little tinge of paranoia in us, hopefully, and in Brianna, because it reminds us of Stephen Bonnet, right. who liked to play with coins and liked to use them for luck. And so we have this conversation that we just saw w- between Mrs. Bug and Brianna about that. And it sets up her situation for this episode. So here we see the solution that Roger came up with to the standoff problem, which is whiskey. Hmm. <laughs> Fittingly. The Fraser's Ridge Whiskey. And this guy drinking the whiskey, testing it out. He's the whiskey taster. Um, this is uh, Lionel Brown, played by Ned Dennehy. Um, he's an amazing actor, and we get his introduction here. He's not the nicest guy, although he has reason to be uh, not so cordial to these people because it's his daughter uh, who who had you know been dishonored by isaiah morton so he's very he's not in a good mood and um and he will explain that story in a minute now that he's been calmed down by the goods that roger presented and it's really a peace offering it's from um courage get god give me courage is what roger says in the beginning and sometimes you have to drink a little bit to get the courage to fight and to also um, find peace, ironically. Is everyone in this town named Brown? <laughs> <laughs> Not Be- everyone, but a lot. But a lot of them are because it was funny in last week's podcast, Luke was talking about how the goats in the Beardley episode in the book, the goat was named Hiram. Yeah. And he said we had it. They changed the name to Billy, Billy the Billy Goat, um, because there was a Hiram, and I believe Hiram Brown is is in this episode. I just saw him. Yes. He was off to the left a little. When I see him again, I'll point him out. But that's Hiram. I'm not sure if do we meet him in this episode. We do. We do. Okay, I'll uh, wait for a little him. bit later. That was definitely some um, liberty that we took to name Hiram after a goat. <laughs> <But>. <laughs> Uh, oh, so I didn't realize Hiram's not in the book because the goat was Hiram and we stole the name Hiram. We I did. see. Okay. There's a pattern here. <laughs> now, um, I was explaining to the listeners that uh, last week that, you know, we're already um, well into uh, season six in the writer's room. We're, we're on it. Um, and so watching these is sometimes almost a year later that we are watching this episode Um and commenting on them so it's kind of fun to see them when we haven't seen them for quite a while we see them during the editing phase but you know this is sort of the we get to see the almost finished product and it's really fun to to mm-hmm. look back and it brings back all the memories doesn't it of it light really when you does. were there it really does it feels now like i'm standing there watching this uh and i'm i'm somewhere over behind claire there ah i um, love this scene because you know they they have this baby that they're responsible for now from the last episode and it's sparking these feelings in Claire who mm-hmm. you know Claire and Jamie never got to raise their own child together um as we know and and so there's something really poignant that um 
about watching them with a child. And I think Jamie feels that way watching Claire holding this mm-hmm. baby. And it's, it's bringing up a lot of feelings with them where they're, um, you know, just yeah. something that they missed, missed out on. And, uh, it's a new, it's a new thing. And it, it I, I think they, both the actors really are playing the subtext here very well. Of yes. Like subtext the is the right word because there's nothing in the dialogue, but look at how, uh, Sam is playing the looks towards uh, Claire. It's just very poignant that he is thinking about this. So this was an added scene that explains um, that some militiamen have taken off. This actually we didn't shoot on the day on the um, set. We had to do it a little bit later for clarity. Hmm. And we were talking earlier, too, about because um, I was trying to remember when we when we build these episodes in the writer's room, sometimes where one where one ends and one picks up it is a little bit fluid. And we were saying how, you know, the beginning of, of 502 is actually a scene that was supposed to be and was shot for 501. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And in this one, I was saying, didn't we mix Brownsville into the Beardsley story at one point? And um, we were remembering that the end of the Beardsley story from last week used to end with Roger's arrival in Brownsville where the men pulled the guns on him Mm -hmm. and shot at him. And so it was a bit of a cliffhanger. But then we decided that the end of the Beardsley episode was much stronger stronger. to end on, you know, the death of Mr. Beardsley, Jamie having to put him out of his misery and and then talking about his father um, was a much stronger ending. So then we shifted... um, it wasn't shot already, but it was storyboarded for uh, that episode, and then it shifted into this episode, so you got to portray their arrival. Yes, and oh, this is playing in the background is a song called Heal and Laddie, and I'm particularly proud of that one because I found it and put it in the script right away. It was such an earworm, we call it in Germany. It sticks in your ear. Uh, and it was an original song from those times. This is the Jacobite version, and uh, thank goodness that never left post. This always stayed in as what Roger sings. Ah. And yeah, this whole episode is full of music that was researched very well. Yeah, we do like to find songs that are true to the times Mm -hmm. little known songs undiscovered gems um not the ones usually that are that are super well known um it's it's one of the funnest parts yes and here you can see there's some tension and it refers to the theme of leadership this is how you choose to lead your man is really what what we should feel here from jamie um while Claire is trying to figure out what to do with this baby. Well, Jamie, yeah, Jamie made Roger a captain in the, in the premiere episode, and Roger's kind of proud of himself and thinking that he's done a good job by using diplomacy instead mm-hmm. of uh, violence um, or force. And, of course, it's it actually doesn't work out that well right. for him. And he quickly learns that maybe he is not handled this the right way um and it's pretty devastating to him because he is has a lot of anxiety about trying to fulfill his role that jamie has bestowed upon him yes he's definitely trying to Ooh, look at this apples oh this is a cider making uh, activity that i it was a small note in the book about cider being part of brownsville and we thought we would really build this world and show some of it even if it's just in the background of what these people do on a daily basis yeah i had forgotten that this was part it was so in the background i don't remember it being part of the story but i know we're always looking for what we call business and things for them to do and we had like candle making um in 502 and i was explaining to the 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 listeners that you know we like to research stuff and and say how can we show something that was really a chore done back then Mm -hmm. um to see what kind of life and to see maybe how hard it is you know today just obviously go buy apple cider but (laughs) you don't think about how where did it come from and how did they make it in the you know back in history 
Exactly. And this is where Roger has to admit that some militiamen have left due to um, this diplomatic uh, way of handling things, uh, which is not uh, an old-fashioned way, and I think, you know, very modern uh, way of dealing with the situation. So it's... Mm. It's it's now he explains his thinking process behind it all. I really love this shot because it's a tracking shot, goes all the way back with these two characters and shows Jamie already looking around and realizing something's off and he's missing some men. Yeah, Jamie's whole thing, <laughs> his whole task here is to gather men. Not to lose not them. Not to lose them. <laughs> and, and here's now the culprit of the situation. Yeah. Uh, now, in the book, Josiah Morton runs away. But we felt it was, the re- he was the reason of, it, of the whole uh, quarrel. And so it would be interesting to see how Jamie would deal with the situation with him. Uh, before we send him off. So, now also this is to the theme of leadership. Jamie explains to Roger of how he would have handled things, and of course that would have been very different. You just, you don't leave your man behind is Jamie Fraser's motto, and, and that's what he lives by. Seeing Josiah Morton tied up does not does bother him. That's one of my favorite lines that never got changed from draft one until now. <laughs> what disarray has your cock rod upon our mission? <laughs> um, and it is true that it's not just lust that we're dealing with here, but also love. And unfortunately, Josiah Morton is already married. I- Isaiah. Oh, Isaiah. Sorry. Isaiah Morton. We have a Josiah. I know all these names are so similar. Um, I had Josiah Beardsley on my mind. Yes. But this whole story was kind of... It, the point of it was J- that Jamie and Claire had this sort of wild and crazy love that, you know, made no sense, maybe caused problems for, you know, the community, their families, everyone around. Um, but it was undeniable. It was something undeniable. And, and so now they can't help but have empathy for this, this young couple who says, you know, the world is against us. This isn't supposed to work. We're from different backgrounds or you know her family doesn't approve um it's a little bit of a romeo and juliet mm-hmm. um and and here uh, jamie is still suspicious at that that it's that kind of love yeah he sends uh, isaiah off because he doesn't quite buy that he's in love and that no he's like you're uh <laughs> that he's just being a philanderer So here we're trying to establish that that the ba- baby has no parents, that it's a it's it's essentially an orphan, or someone uh, a baby that has been left behind, and uh, Lucinda Brown, who is also a character that has been um, made up for this because we needed a nursing mother, we really wanted to show a bond that is happening here with her and the baby. And now as Claire has spilled some ale on or cider on this uh, newspaper, there's another story point that gets established here, which is the Dr. Rawlings of it all. This is text 
that she instantly recognizes. Because those are the words that she wrote. She wrote back in 502. Exactly. And somehow this got published. Those are very modern ideas that got published that she was trying to just distribute on the ridge. Yeah, she just wanted to share them with her local neighbors and... And so here, this is an t- also intentional subtext. Um, Claire is asking, won't your husband mind that you will be feeding two, hu- two hungry mouths? And Lucinda looks up and will get an inkling that something's wrong because she lost her baby. Right. Well, it's also to show kind of that the Browns for as sort of, uh, uh, they're very... Um, cliquish community they're very they're not they're suspicious of outsiders to begin with i believe Mm -hmm. but here they are when it comes to this baby they're very open-hearted and so even the sort of people that live sort of out this this distant outpost and are a little bit cloistered there uh have a warmth to them where Mm -hmm. they would well they welcome this this child and uh clara's seeing that which obviously plays into her later decision Right. Now here they're they're catching up on everything. So we have to get the impression that Claire has been caught up on everything Isaiah Morton and Alicia Brown um, while they were listening to Roger. (laughs) She did not know she'd be published. (laughs) And um, it's a bit tricky because... As we, we talked about in some earlier podcasts, it's dangerous to have knowledge of the future. And, and uh, you know, Claire's already been suspected of being a witch. And so she's she's definitely she's toying. Yeah, she's yeah. toying. She's playing with fire here. And now now you must rewatch 503 to see how it got to the printer. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Fergus, his champagne has been. And here we we realize the extent of the accident of when Fergus went to the broadsheets with the militia call. There was writing on the other side. Ah. Never write on the back of a grocery list. <laughs> you never know what's, what's going to read it. Always use a fresh sheet of paper. Oh, here we have everything is supposed to feel like it's all going wrong now that Morton's been let go and Jamie let him go and here rides in. Uh, Richard Brown. Ah, uh, yes, this is Richard Brown, played yes. by Chris Larkin, and he is—he's really the patriarch of Brownsville. He's the brother of Lionel, and in contrast to Lionel, who's very emotional, a very emotional character, a loose cannon, loose cannon, so to say, and he is Richard Brown is very thoughtful, and um, he. He thinks it's like a chess game for him. He thinks things through. Now, these guns are enormous. Oh, yeah. We <laughs> talked about how heavy they were last week. Yes. And um, I know. Have, did you hold one while you were there? I did. Oh, I did. my God. You couldn't. I don't know how you could even get you get off one shot and then you'd fall over because they're so heavy and they're. They're heavy in the barrel, not the weighted. The way yes. they're weighted, they make you tip over practically. And their you... aim is not very good. So even no. though this looks rather dangerous, it would probably not hurt anyone. <laughs> probably everyone would miss, is what yes. you're saying. 
Yeah, they're not the, the most accurate weapons. And this is the general store exterior. Now, this was shot on a stage. So all the interiors are on our stages. We have the um, exteriors on that beautiful set. This is one of my favorite scenes of Richard Brown sizing up Jamie Fraser, and this really sets up their relationship for the militia time to come that they spend together. Because obviously Richard says that they'll happily fight for the governor here. Yeah, I like it when he says that. He's like, look, you know, you can have my men, but I'll answer to you, but they answer to me. Yeah. Um, he's not going to let Jamie boss around all of his guys. And Jamie respects that. Uh, it's the only way really he can get them to be recruited. So they'll take what he can get. They need men. Um, and behind Richard Brown is Meg Brown, the his wife he aptly ignores right now but <laughs> she is very strong matriarch in her own on her own right well, these are our Jemmys and Germaine playing in the surgery Jemmy was played by a set of twins. Right. We always have to have twins when we have kids. Um, a lot of the savvy TV viewers probably know this, but some some may not. But we, you have to have twins so you can switch them off, and that's because um, you can only shoot for short amounts of time with them. So it gives you double the time if there's two of them. And also if one's having a screaming meltdown, <laughs> you can put the other one in. Um, send in the brother, you know, um, but we get incredibly lucky with most of the babies and and kids that we work with on the show because it is, it is hard and it is scary to be on the set, you know, for a young child that doesn't know what, you know, they, they rehearse and they, they do well and then they bring the cameras in and to the, to them, those cameras must look like big monsters, big metallic monsters. Um, so I don't, I kind of don't blame them. Sometimes I want to cry on the set myself (laughs) if it's it's a late hour and you're out in the mud and the freezing cold so here brianna is is having a little panic attack because she's paranoid as you said earlier about is is bonnet is bonnet around is he around is he after this kid she now knows he's still alive now he's been spotted around possibly around her son although we'd like to think that it was just an irish man um and and it might have been and might have been so now that jemmy just wandered off for a second it instills this panic in brianna um that we wanted to be a little bit bigger than life a little bit bigger than than was reasonable because of her fear right Here's a time where it's okay that the kid cries. <laughs> Sometimes you want them to cry and they won't cry, but most of the time you can get them to cry. So Marcy uh, wants to offer out some comfort. And that'll be a nice scene between the two of them. This is one of my favorite sort of levity moments because everyone that shows up has their last name Brown. and just for fun (laughs) i know they want to if anyone wants to know where we get the names sometimes we literally just google uh (laughs) famous scottish surnames or interesting baby names for boys scottish you know and we google and we get these long lists of names and go down them and then half the time it's like oh we already used that in the second season so we have to constantly find new names to stick in there but abner's a good one i like abner that's good yeah now here's meg's plea to possibly let them keep the orphan child and she'll explain in a second why 
And that always makes me cry, made me cry even on set to, to imagine that kind of pain. Oh yeah, yeah. Now this set, it's interesting because this set was uh, built to be the, the bedroom, the Brown's bedroom, but it was also supposed to have doubled as an interior tavern set where all the fun dancing will take place. And when we saw it, we could only fit in about three people and the camera crew. <laughs> and yeah. so we'd ha we had to rethink that location um, for the tavern. It was not used after all for that. Now this is a young actress um, called Anna Burnett. We looked high and low for Alicia Brown because it was such an important role for the episode. She's really the heart and soul of it, who is so in love. Yeah, this was actually uh, the audition scene. I remember this now from the casting process. Um, sometimes during the casting, we can, you know, just go boom, boom, that person's perfect, you know. Sometimes we have like... Uh, two or three of the top, the front runners. And often the director will go down maybe to London or, or in Glasgow and work with, and go in a separate studio and work, work with the, the front runners to, to narrow it down to who, who is really the perfect one. And I, I believe um, that that was one of the situation. That was Absolute, a situation here. Yes. We had some incredible, I mean, sometimes there's maybe like, it was five a or six this decision, was yeah it, it's always a fun casting call when we get on the phone i know um and and go wow you know usually we 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 call in and we say we have a a favorite or one or two but sometimes we call in and we go god i liked like five or six of these these actors and then that's when we narrow them down and maybe have the director work with them and see which one has the best range because they might have a good audition and then get to the set and not be able to do it. So we ask them for more colors. We give them some additional scenes or we put them with someone and do what's called a chemistry test. So if they have a love scene, we'll put them with the actor maybe that's already been cast. Mm -hmm. And, um, and Anna actually just at one out on this one and did an, an amazing job. But this was a, a role that we had a, a, an embarrassment of riches. Yep. Yeah, I remember that phone call from the director going like, it's Anna. It's just above and beyond, and he really, really liked her, and even though there was a bunch of talent yeah. there in that room. Yeah, yeah. Well, there, there's a lot of talent. There's a lot of talent in the UK, and we're we're lucky we have Suzanne and Simone, um, who always do uh, an incredible job um, of finding the perfect people for the that fit the roles exactly. And this scene was so much fun to write. And obviously it went through several iterations uh, because it's long, but it's, it's the story that Marceline tells uh, to Brianna to make her feel better about her obsession with having conjured something up. Right. Yeah, I love this. I love this scene, too. This was not in the book. This was not in the book. This was my research because Matt uh, said that there should be something very emotional about this scene. And there hadn't been. I think we only boarded, well, the, that part with, uh, I can conjure up being a princess, but that's never going to happen. I think there was there was a gist of it we had mm -hmm. kind of figured out, but I wanted to get there somehow in the writing process and deserve that that joke in a way. And I did some research on Marsali and found Simon Kimmy, who was a very abusive father and who died right. in prison. Right. Yeah, all of the characters... In Diana's book, it's it's one of the things that she does, uh, you know, so well is give them very rich histories, and you know, we, they're they're not not all of them are a story, or we don't get to see what happened to them, 
but we do draw on the backgrounds that she's created for them and try to to fit it in you know so that when you get to know these characters they're they're the characters that you love from the book um and we try to add we also add our own touches to them and things maybe that weren't in the books but that but go along you know that fit with what their characters are we we make little background incidences or give them personal histories as well um and they all are so different you know there's just so many and and that's one of the challenges i we got a question at a um an interview the other day which is what was the hardest season and i think i picked um this this season because we have so many characters to serve now mm-hmm. because it's not you know in the beginning when it was fo- focused more jamie claire and maybe dougal column some of the early people but now we, we do have you know jamie and claire are still very much at the center but we have such a wide palette of people to choose from that we want to serve you know because we have brianna and roger and we have marsley and we have a, so so many rich and interesting characters um and their world their world has expanded that that i think it's sometimes heartbreaking and we can't fit them all in you know we just there's so many that we love they're very colorful like even the beardsley twins that we just saw and who are now the reason why claire um is deciding that she might have to go back uh so the tonsils are are a big story point yeah well the fact that they're twins and the fact their background with the beardsley you know abusive parents and the the way the brothers love each other um yeah and then uh of course we have the question mark of can she even perform these tonsillectomies without the penicillin where is it at what's what's the process unfortunately in this episode we couldn't really explore the penicillin research, but that is obviously something that she's that we set up. She's been doing. Well, that's her arc this season: is to figure out ways to protect her family since she re- feels responsible for them being here since they came here to warn her about the fire, the obituary, um, and now they're they're trapped here. Mm-hmm. And it's always heartbreaking when you see Jamie and Claire having to separate. And there's there's that little moment here that they are seeing, okay, we might have to part for a little bit. And um, whenever they're not together, we, we fear because they're always stronger as a team. And here is that line that you mentioned earlier, I made you a captain, but you don't know what that means and he you know roger cracks a joke but obviously he understands the subtext here too that he's not not up to the task possibly and it it really gnaws on him and even though that's that's comfort it's not comfort enough well, Claire and Claire and Roger have always had a special relationship, and I like the the friendship between them and the sort of they understand each other, and and I think she has a, a, a soft spot for Roger and always tries to, you know, she's not your typical mother, I guess, um, or what TV usually portrays as a mother-in-law, I should say. Um, here is what Brianna realizes. Um, that Roger's seen these drawings that she did back in um, episode. Possibly, but if, if that's not clear, what also works really well for me here is that she's just kind of sick of herself and of drawing mm-hmm. this man and of conjuring him up uh, physically and, and, and wants to just also just get rid yeah. of that. Wants to sort of exercise the demons. Oh, here's Hiram Brown. This is Hiram! <laughs> <laughs> He's, he, we keep calling, we always call him the nice brown. Um, yeah, because Claire really would not <laughs> leave any baby no. with a couple that she doesn't think will raise her well. 
And so here it's it's pretty much for Claire. It's it's uh, not a total done deal, but having heard their story and seeing them together so happy with this baby definitely yeah. solidifies this for for me. <gasps> now here is uh, the <laughs> oh, sword dance. The sword dance. Now, this didn't originally go in this episode, right? It's from a different part of the book. Yes, that's right. It's um, actually from a part uh, later in the book, but we didn't have space for it. And I know, I remember you were walking up and down uh, saying, who wants the sword dance? And I just raised my hand. Well, I yes, said, yes. Uh, I remember. I know we all have our little favorite parts. I've got a few that I'm still trying to get in to an episode, and I will get them in. Um before the series is over, um, which is hopefully a long time from now. But um, I know that this was a particular favorite of Meryl's. And Meryl was like, "Are we, we got to do the sword dance. We got, and she frequently has parts, but she knows the books backwards and forwards. And she was the one saying, we've got to get that sword dance in. And I, I did go up and down the, the halls and say, um, somebody's got to fit that sword dance in. And I think you were the most excited about it and you found <laughs> yes. a spot for it. I and really wanted it. I really felt it would fit in so well in the it's sequence. It's really cool. Yeah, it's really cool. And um, and there you can see it, it's really fun. Like you can see everyone having fun, which it turned out even better mm. on the day than, um, than I had envisioned. Yeah, it's... It's really neat. I think the fans will really appreciate it. We always try to assure them that if you have favorite um, moments, um, don't despair if you don't see them where they originally go because we we do all have our favorites and, and we, we find ways to get them in there. And and Sam um, actually practiced quite a oh, bit. Oh, yeah. For he, this he's, one. <laughs> I think he's a great dancer. Yes, <laughs> no, he did. And this is, this is one of the, um, this is probably my favorite scene, I think, in the. Yeah, this is something we call the moonlight walk. That's right. Ideally, you can you can sort of sense the moonlight coming through the trees. And uh, yeah, also, it goes back to what I was saying earlier that they didn't get to raise a child together, and um, so they it comes up between them. It's it's yeah. um, hey this is the scene where they discuss this at length, really, and and go back and forth on it. Um. These are the scenes that are the favorites of the audience and of us, and that the quiet moments where Jamie and Claire get to talk and have this intimacy. Um, there's such a real couple. There's such a couple that. Everyone wishes, you know, that all relationships could be that this warm and this this lovely because they they can fight, but they they can be vulnerable with each other and they 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 get each other and he he knows her so well he knows that she's having these feelings she know you know and yes and so so they're really raising this as a possibility as a topic but i think what's in the forefront in um, claire's mind is the obituary the obituary and i think i always work towards that like not to say it right away in the beginning but a little bit down the line that she is not sure they are the best match uh as parents for this for this child at yeah. this time in their lives um it's a little glimpse it was a little glimpse of what it would have been like to have um a, a baby between them in in their lives and you know in their arms but and we thought this was an interesting conversation an interesting decision for a couple that you know already have a grown daughter of maybe you know the line here that um, that I really love is coming up that regret is not enough of a reason sometimes and I think that re really resonated with me because of you know many many reasons in life where you have regrets but maybe that's not reason enough to want something and to have something. That's not reason to go back and, and to go backwards and do something not for everyone so for some people right. it could be the right thing but we're you know, we're always conscious of saying it's that the things we show 
it doesn't mean it's the right decision for every person in that mm -hmm. but we're only trying to show this couple and what's right for them we have lots of spirited discussions in the writer's room lots of people bring their own personal you know lots of us tend to say well yeah. i wouldn't do that you know i know i do i do i go well if i was in that situation you know i would do this or that and many uh, all of us have to bring our own experience and what feels authentic to us but ultimately what we settle on is what would this couple do what would these characters do and we have to be true to that but that doesn't mean we don't have a lot of discussions and weigh lots of different ways to go with the story um and th this was something we did talk about a lot but we thought uh that it was really important to show that this was maybe a path not taken a path they could have taken here and they decide not to and they're both good with that um oh, here's the gunshot which alerts them now this you were telling me earlier in the book it's dead of winter and they're in you know six feet of snow um when this we is, by the way this. the best tree ever but yes um the uh, in the book this is snow and alicia is trying to kill herself in the cold but we have had a very, very warm spring. <laughs> yeah. And so we really could not believably show that freezing. I think it seemed the clearest uh, option. And also it's Lionel's, it's her father's gun, which is pointed uh, that I know this is something that only I know, <laughs> but it's important to me that she took her father's gun. Well, well, that's why we do these podcasts, so you can tell us little nuggets like that. That's true. That's a, that is a good point. Um, Baby, like, look at him. This is such a great look. Um, again, all of these are subtextual, not scripted, where the conversations are happening in their heads, too, and he realizes that this girl is much more trouble than he thought and now he's even more angry at isaiah martin and so here we realize that isaiah did not run away and did not try and save himself from um uh, from this town and, and, and the people that, that, that are after him. He's here to see at, uh, Alicia and to possibly take her with him. And here, obviously, we don't believe that Isaiah Morton will ever shoot Jamie Frazier. That's really not... And neither does Jamie. No, <laughs> neither does like, Jamie. What are you thinking? Put that away. <laughs> yeah. So that's not really what the scene is about, that threat. It's about... Jamie realizing and, what I say are really feeling. Yeah, this is something I know we added from the book because I know in the book he was married and we and we were saying, you know, it's kind of hard to root for him if he is a married guy, even though, you know, I think the intention was that Claire and Jamie had a complicated relationship because Claire also mm -hmm. was married, but her husband was, you know, in a different time period, <laughs> 200 years away. And in this, we wanted to be able to make sure that we rooted for um, Isaiah, th them to get together. So he explains that he had even a similar situation as as Jamie had with with Leary when they weren't no longer living as husband and wife, even though he had married Leary. Um, but to say that it was, you know, an arranged marriage or that he hadn't lived with his wife in years, um, that, you know, back then, even though they did have divorce back then, but but not for everyone. That was in the in the bigger cities where there were like you know men the lawyers and paperwork. But out in these small communities, they didn't have mm -mm. a divorce lawyer. So if right. if someone had been put together with someone that that they weren't meant to be with because it was some sort of arranged marriage and they didn't love each other, and then they met someone who was their true love, it, it's meant to. It's not a judgment on anyone. It's just meant to throw a light on this dilemma mm -hmm. that people have. Absolutely. Um, 
And, and these two are meant to be together. And it, and the purpose of the story is to say, like Jamie and Claire were meant to be together, and find your this, soulmate. And I this very cheeky moment here that Isaiah has in, in saying that my situation's not so different from you, from what you have with your loved ones. And they have to admit that he's not entirely wrong. And she's she's got a baby on her, way, uh, you know, yeah. on the way. And you, you know, Maybe they just try to make the decision to do the right thing. Uh, yeah, what I they really believe, what they believe is the right I, thing. I, I love how how well they portrayed this 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 love for each other in this moment. And so here's the this is the the morning off. And the Frasers have decided to help uh, Isaiah and Alicia escape. So everyone's asleep. And the only hope, the, ho the hope is that nobody will hear them leave. Right. But of course, this oh. happens. And it's a small sound, but rut row. <laughs> but we, we already hear people waking up. And in order for to, there to be a distraction. To mask what's going on, right? Jamie comes up with this plan to let lose the horses. Yeah, I remember in the writer's room talking and everyone was in love with this moment that like, just the, the, you know, the beauty kind of, the beauty and messiness of the horses escaping being sort of a metaphor for the freedom of the lovers and the, you know, horse being such a romantic symbol that... And they're beautiful creatures, but that path was very narrow and it was kind of dangerous to sit there and watch them go through. I'm glad that that they were so well trained. And of course now we're we're blaming the goat that we took from the Beardsley farm for having spooked <laughs> the horses. So that Billy Billy, Billy the, goat. the goat. It all comes back around to the goats. Now we have an amazing uh Dominic Priest who is our um our horse wrangler and, and much more than that. He coordinates stunts, but he takes care of all the horses, he gets the right horses for the right scenes, he he teaches mm -hmm. everyone to ride. Oh, and and um he this. I'm sure that he he supervised all of this, and the horses are. Now this was shot on a, sli in a, a slightly, on a different day because, you know, it had to be slow motion and free, and it works so well with the. Oh, voiceover. it's gorgeous, yeah. And with this idea of the young love fleeing into an uncertain future, yeah. Fantastic! That's episode four. Yep. And uh, well done. Well done. Thank um, you. It was uh, a pleasure. All right. Well, we'll be back next week with episode five. Uh, and we'll see you then. <laughs>